of, other than the examples I've already shared this morning, let me give you another example of, of how this kind of, of went for me. You see, this week Jennifer decided that, uh, not decided this week, we actually decided several weeks ago, she finished her master's degree this year. And we were so excited, yeah, we'll give her, yeah, give her props for that. We were so excited about that. I wanted her to go and do something that she would not normally do just for her. So she and one of her high school, one of her best high school friends went and took a trip this last week. Well, Jennifer does not normally leave our family for an extended period of time. Up till this particular trip, she has only been gone over one night. And I didn't actually strike a lot of certainty into her heart the very first time that she left and Kara was an infant. When as she was walking away, I asked, now how many times do I feed her? <laughs> okay, so that, did, that does not actually give one peace when you're leaving, moms. Uh, can, you, can you amen that? That's definitely something that you could understand. So she's not gone over extended periods of time, so she was going to be gone for four days. And I think my daughters were more nervous about me being in charge of our house for four days more so than I am. You know, we had a great week. Everything went so well, and we were on the last night of Jennifer being gone. It was Thursday. I decided that I would be a great dad, and I would get the yard mode, get everything together. Kara had cleaned the house because she was having a party on Saturday night with some friends of hers, so they were going to be coming to the house. So she had cleaned up everything, cleaned up the kitchen really well. Everything looked great. And I went outside, and as I was mowing on one side of my house, I noticed around my foundation there, were, there was lots of water, okay? That is never a good thing, okay? Because we've actually had our house flooded before, and so I knew what this looked like as it came around the foundation, but I would just been in the house. I didn't think there was anything wrong. And then I remembered my air conditioner pan is right over that area of the house where it would drain out. So I panicked, and I ran over to my garage. I didn't know, didn't think about Kara being in the house. And I go up in the garage, and wouldn't you know it that one of the lights in my garage attic, or in the attic above my garage, was out. And so I thought I saw the landing, and so I went to reach and go on the landing, and instead of hitting the landing, what did I do? I went right through the ceiling of our kitchen, okay? Kara comes running in and says, Dad, Dad, what happened? And all she sees is one leg dangling, okay? Fortunately, I catch myself. The only injury I incurred, if you could see my thumbs, one thumb is a little bit bigger than the other. I don't even know how it happened. Everything happened so fast. Before I knew it, I was halfway down into our kitchen, missing the light, missing the vent by just a little bit. Now, Kara did... For the record, asked me if I was all right twice, she said, before she went to her room and called her mother. I said, you stinking little traitor, okay? Because, I mean, you're calling mom before I'm even out of the attic. She said, mom, the house just falls in around us when you're not here, okay? Now, everybody got a great laugh of that, out of that, except for me, of course, as I'm patching up now with duct tape and a few drywall screws trying to patch up the hole in my ceiling. But that's kind of the way my week started this week. And this morning, as I got a call, I, it even got a little bit more interesting. So you guys continue to pray for Jason and Angie as we, as we think about that and think about them this morning. But sometimes we miss the warning signs. Sometimes if I had paid attention to the fact that I would have known that 
the drain that drains our air conditioner often gets clogged because it's in one of the girls' bathrooms. So I always have to clog that. And sometimes I miss the warning sign on that. Sometimes I miss the warning sign that there was an opportunity in my attic that the bulb was out. And if I had placed, replaced that when it went out instead of when I was panicked and in a hurry, some of those things wouldn't have happened. But sometimes we miss the warning signs in our life. And this morning, as we close this message series in the book of Colossians, I want us to talk about some warning signs, something that in Saginaw we are quite familiar with. I believe we might have a picture. Is there a picture? Yes. The railroad crossings. You guys know a few railroad crossings here in Saginaw? How many of you in the room today have been caught by a train in Saginaw? Okay. All right. If not, you've not lived here quite long enough because you are going to catch, get caught by a train. And many times those trains will stop and you can't cross. Now, thankfully, here in Saginaw, those trains are typically moving pretty slow when they come through town so that we can hear them and you hear the train whistle blowing. But you see this sign and you know that a railroad crossing is there and we're supposed to stop, look, and listen. Many of us learn that as children, that when you come to a railroad crossing or if you're a child getting ready to cross the street, cross the street, what we need to do is to stop, look, And listen for the warning signs. We're going to finish this series this morning in Colossians chapter 4. And I want us to talk about something that is quite honestly one of the most difficult subjects to talk to the church, the body of Christ about. That's about sharing our faith. You guys are, let me hear the gasp. (gasps) Share our faith? Talk about our faith with other people? I mean, people might look down on us. They might think that we are close-minded, they may, when we say that Jesus Christ is the only answer, they might think that something is wrong with us. They might not talk with us. They might look upon us differently if they know that I'm a believer. If I actually share my faith with someone, if I actually talk with somebody about who Christ is to me, I'll do anything if I don't have to do that. More than anything else in the church today, when you talk about sharing your faith, it is one of the most difficult topics for us to really think about. So often, we're ready to hear a topic or a message about, okay, how do we live our faith every day? That's what really this whole book of Colossians has been about. How do you live your faith out? But if we don't deal with the idea of how we actually talk about our faith, then we've missed what the whole message of this book is. As Paul comes in Colossians chapter 4 and he shares this, he says this, look in, chapter, look in verse 2. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that we may, that the door may be opened for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. So Paul is writing this letter, Colossians, to this church called Colossae from prison, as he's also writing the book of Ephesians right after this, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We talk about sharing our faith. What I want us to see this morning is the first thing that we need to do is to stop. To stop and pray. Before we do anything else, we need to stop and pray. For so many of us, this whole idea of prayer, especially in our American mindset, is so difficult for us to understand and for us to come against and come with 
as we go to Christ, we don't stop and pray. Because here's what prayer really does. Prayer does this. As we prayed already this morning, you know what we were doing? We were showing our dependence upon God in this whole process of everything that we do. How we live our life, how we're dependent upon God to take care of people that we can't take care of. We can't heal people. We can't touch people. Only God can do that. And when we're put in situations when we can't do anything else, what's the first thing people do? They stop and pray. They say there's no atheist in foxholes, okay? Why is that? When literally all things are breaking loose around you, the thing that you will do is to realize that you cannot do this yourself and you will stop and pray. But for us, that's a warning that we need to heed. When we stop, look, and listen, the first thing we must do is stop and pray. And that's exactly what Paul deals with in this passage. He first of all says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, we have some sermon notes for you this morning. And the reasons that we were doing this this morning, normally we just provide the notes for you on the back. But this is going to be a message today that I hope you will take with you. I hope that you will think about this and you're going to put some you're going to put some names down today. You're going to think about some things today and I want you to be able to take this home with you and continue to process this at home. But the first thing that Paul says is we need to pray persistently. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Here's the real issue that I think we have with evangelism. Our issue with telling people about our faith is that we don't see people as God sees people. If we would stop and pray and pray persistently and ask God that we would have the view of people that He has of them. Before you got up this morning, God knew that you would be here. Before your neighbor chose not to get up this morning, God knew that they would not be here. The people around us that we live around, the people that we work around, they are already on God's heart. What we need to pray for consistently and persistently is that we would have God's heart when it comes to prayer and God's heart when it comes to people. Remember Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus tells this parable. He says, What man of you having a hundred sheep If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven for one sinner who repents over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We need to pray persistently that we will have God's view of people. I have been guilty of this, and I know maybe some of you have had these things before. As you've thought about who should you share your faith with, one thing that we sometimes put before people is, what's your fishing list? Who are the people that are in your life? We're going to talk about people in your life. But do you think really your neighbor, your friend wants to be on your fishing list? Do you think they want to be your target for evangelism? I mean, think about it. Do we want to be anybody's target in a world of terrorism? Do we want to be anybody's target? No. I don't think anybody wants to be our target for evangelism. So I've chosen to look at this in a different way. 
Rather than people that we target to share our faith with, I like to look at it this way. Who are the people that Jesus misses most? I want you to write that down. Who are the people in your life that Jesus misses most? You see, that flips evangelism all the way around. It's really not about people who are just around us and that we want to go after. It's not people in our relationships that that we think need to know Christ. It is asking the question, who are the people in my life and in your life that Jesus would be the one who would go after and look for them? They're the ones that Jesus misses most. I love that idea because it, it turns evangelism on its head and it says... Who are the people in my life that Jesus is looking for? And I need to think about them. Some of them we live with. Some of them we work with. We're going to look at that in just a second. second. But we need to pray persistently. I'm reminded of that, that woman that Jesus talked about in a parable in Luke chapter 18 when he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city. I know lots of widows like this widow. There, were widow, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For, while he refused, but at, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because... This widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice. And I love this. In the ESV it says, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. It's hilarious for me to think about that. Some of my favorite people are widowed ladies that, see, that I have the opportunity to minister to. And I have over the years, over the 22 years of ministry, the, my, one of my favorite things is to be able to minister in those situations. Number one, because they're always thankful. But number two, because they're always persistent. They'll say, Randy, did you remember that you said you would do this? And I remembered that I said I would do that. Only because they reminded me. It reminds me of Dan and Linda Smith's two boys. Because last year I made an error. And I told them that I was going, if they would help me do something... I would take them to Six Flags. Now, Sam and Isaac, as I told them when they were helping me, I would take them to Six Flags. You have to understand, the reason that I told Sam and Isaac I would take them to Six Flags is I had been told by someone, Bart Howell, that Sam and Isaac absolutely hated Six Flags. As a matter of fact, they tended to call it terror flags. And so I was joking with them. I said, hey, boys, if you'll help me, I'll take you to Six Flags. Well, guess what they said? Yay! Mr. Randy's going to take us to Six Flags. And so now I am on the hook to take Sam and Isaac to Six Flags. I told them I had a calendar year to come through with my promise. Well, Sam and Isaac, and actually Dan and Linda, keep reminding me that I am going to take Sam and Isaac to Six Flags. They are like this persistent widow who kept pounding on the door of this king. And so we need to be persistent in our prayer just like that we need to continually go back to god and ask god for a heart for people i think the one reason that evangelism is not stronger that we don't share our faith that this place is not full with people who are coming because we've invited them because we realize that 98 percent of people who come to church come for one reason you know what that is a personal invitation it's great that we send out mailers It's great that we have signs and websites. 
It's great that we used to have a sign on our property before it got hit by the huge winds last week. Those things are great. But most people will come because someone in their life cares enough about them to invite them and to share their faith. But we don't do that. And I believe the number one reason we don't, that we struggle with this idea of sharing our faith, is we just don't view people as God does. We need to pray persistently if that's going to be the case. Now, folks, what I want you to understand is I struggle with this just as much as you do. I sometimes shake in my boots when I think about sharing my faith personally. I enjoy doing it. I love doing it. I love seeing people. There's nothing greater in the world than seeing somebody come to faith in Christ because I know their eternity has changed as a result of that opportunity. But it's still scary to me. Pray persistently. The second thing we must do is pray watchfully. Pray watchfully. What does Paul say? He says in chapter 4, Verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful in it. Pray watchfully. Always keep your guard up. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Because again, these two books, Ephesians and Colossians, will mirror each other. You'll actually see some of the same things said in both of them in a little bit different way. In Ephesians 6, verse six or verse 18, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the, to the end of keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Prayer or pray watchfully. Why do we always need to be on the lookout? Why do we need to pray with literally one eye up? And here's the reason. Satan is roaming. He always knows how to come at us. You remember the disciples when Jesus called them to pray with him and he asked them this question, could you not tarry with me? Could you not wait with me and pray for one hour? Because what did they tend to do? Fall asleep. For most of us, when we think about prayer, we start thinking about, okay, if I pray late at night, I'm going to go to sleep praying. Well, that's not such a bad thing. But when God puts somebody on your heart, we need to pray watchfully because Satan's going to come at us with all kinds of things. As he's come at us this week, as we think about a message of evangelism, I don't think it's any accident that many of these things have occurred this week because if Satan can keep one message out of the church, he, he wants us to keep, to keep this one out. Because he doesn't want us to be on our guard. He wants to just lull us to sleep as the church and the body of Christ just to say, it's okay. Someone else will get that message out there. Someone else will tell others about their faith. You don't have to be involved in this. It's the pastor's job. It's the really religious person's job. It's not my job. Well, we're the church, the body of Christ. And we need to pray, calling upon God, praying persistently, but also praying watchfully. Keeping in mind that Satan wants to lull us to sleep. For others of you, Satan uses other methods. He uses maybe methods that says, you're not worthy to share your faith with someone else. Because your faith is weak. And so, because your faith is weak, what do you really have to share? We're going to talk about that. But here's the truth this morning. God has no plan B. You're it. I'm it. In many people's lives... We are the only message of the gospel that is ever going to be close enough to them for them to receive. 
When I called Justin Brown this morning at 6 a.m., I said, Justin, I'm so glad you answered the phone. I did not have another plan for who was going to lead worship this morning. There's no plan B. You're it. There are people in your life that I will never meet. They are never going to come here and sit in this service. They are never going to come to an event like our golf tournament coming up that is a great, fun event this, this next Saturday. They're never going to come to that golf tournament and meet people and get to know other people in relationships. They're not going to do it because why? You didn't invite them. They didn't know about it. There are people that God puts in your path in your plan A. We need to pray watchfully because Satan wants to get our attention off on so many other things. Things that are going on in your life so that you don't focus outward on someone else. The third way that we should pray is we should pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. What does Paul say? Continue in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open up for us a door for the word. To, the, to declare the mystery of Christ. Do you remember the mystery of Christ that he talked about in, what, in Colossians? He said the mystery of Christ is what? Christ is in you. That's the mystery. It's no mystery. Christ is in you. So guess what? When you go out in places in Saginaw, in Fort Worth, when you go to work in Dallas, when you're out playing with people, when you're in coaching your, your kids' teams, Christ is in you. That's the mystery. And God is opening up doors and putting people in your lives so that you can share your faith. But you need to pray with, thanks, pray with thanksgiving. Why? Because God's already at work. God doesn't wait for you to pray for Him to go to work. He is already at work in people's lives. And we can be thankful for that. But that prayer of thanksgiving that He is continually talking about in this book of Colossians is a prayer that says this, God, I know that you're already at work. I simply want to join you at work in my friend's life. That person that Jesus misses most. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Again, as Ephesians mirrors Colossians so much, says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. What this is actually saying is, God wants us to redeem this time that we have. We need to stop and pray. Because before we do anything else, we can share our faith in a way that will actually turn people off. Yes, you can do that. And if you don't stop and pray first, you're not going to do this with a humble heart, with a thankful heart. You're not going to do this realizing God is already at work, realizing that He has to be there before we ever get there. No, God doesn't need you, but He chooses to use you. You are His plan A. So the first warning we have to do. So every time that you guys are in Saginaw and you're dealing with a train, whenever you hear a train whistle, the reason that I chose this metaphor is because when you see a railroad crossing, I want you to think, Stop, look, and listen. I want you to think about evangelism, who's in your life. So the second point this morning is not just stop and pray, but look for people. Look for people. Now, I have an exercise that I want you to do this morning. I want you to walk it through with me, so make sure that you have your bulletin insert out this morning, because 
As you see point number two there, look for people. Here's what I want you to begin to do. The first thing is I want you to go to this top circle. And it says relational. Each of us has at least four worlds that we live and we walk in. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today is I want you to put somebody's name in each one of these circles. But I want you to walk it through with me. The first is we must look for people in our what we call our relational world. That's the top world there, our relational world. Who are those people? Who are we related to? These are people that might be in our family. Jennifer and I did not know that when we moved to EVC a year ago that we would have more of an opportunity to have more of her family involved in worship with us than ever before. Now, I was just pastoring about 12 miles away, but we had so many of Jennifer's family that came and would come to church here with us at EVC because they live in this area more than we ever did just living 12 miles away. So the question is, who has God put in your relational world? I want you to think about the contacts that are in your phone. Okay, In your phone, who are the people in your world that you have their numbers in your phone? Those are the people that are in your relational world. They're people that you relate to on a daily, weekly, or maybe monthly basis. If you have a Facebook account, who are your friends on Facebook? Many of these are people that you relate to. So the question is, who is someone that is in your relational world? When you see the word you in the middle there, I want you to put this in that blank. This is your circle of influence. These are the people that you have influence over in your life. You have a relationship with, it, with these folks or you have something between you and them. So who is somebody that's in your family or someone that you relate to on a daily basis? Put their name right there. What we're going to create today is a group of people that you can do number, the point number one, which is stop and pray over these folks. So who's somebody in your relational world? The second world that we see there is, going to the right, is your vocational world. Who are the people that you might work with? When you are vocationally out in the world, you come in contact with people all the time. You see, so much of the, our problem with evangelism is this, that we are with so many people, we are bombarded with so many people in our world, we don't focus in on anyone. We literally have hundreds and thousands of people that we pass on the road every day. We have people who are coming into our places of business. We have people that we are neighbors around. Have you noticed that we are living in the cocooning of society today? Where many of us actually live on streets that don't even have driveways anymore. You enter at an alleyway and you pull into your garage door and it goes down. And you never even know your neighbors. We're going to get to them in just a second. But this is your vocational world. Who are the people that you work with? Has there been someone that God has placed on your heart? It might be someone that you have a difficult time relating to. It's someone that you really don't get along well with at your work. They may be the person that Jesus misses most. Put somebody's name in that circle. The third area, moving down to the bottom, is your recreational world. Your recreational world. We live in a place in the United States where recreation 
is prized among most other things. Right now, this is spring baseball season. And we've got a lot of members who travel with their kids different places for spring baseball. We go from one sports season to another sports season. As I was thinking about the Mavericks playing, I told you guys, don't worry about it. And I did watch the game, by the way, if you go back to last week's message. But... When we think about this, we've had the World Series, we've had the Super Bowl, and now we have the NBA Finals all in our city, okay? This is a place in our world where recreation is valued maybe above almost all other things. But the question is, who do you play with? Who are some parents on your kids' teams that you're with on a regular basis? If you go to the park, who are people that you always see? I have neighbors and friends who always walk their dogs in the park behind our house. It has been a great occasion for me to meet people and to stop and get to know them. Just yesterday, as we were doing some yard work outside, our neighbor's dog was running loose, and we stopped her, called the the number that was on her tag, and I got a, a chance to meet another one of my neighbors that I don't know very well by doing what? By being in the park at just the right time and stopping their dog. Who's in your recreational world? Put a name right there in that circle. Someone that's in your recreational world that is someone that you play with. Maybe you work out on a regular basis. Or maybe you've thought about working out on a regular basis, okay? So this might be a fictitious person that you think might be at the workout place where you might go, okay? There's a lot of mites in that statement, but who is in your recreational world? Then the fourth world is our geographical world. There are people on a weekly basis that you don't know their name, but you see them every week. Let me give you an example of one. I have told many people that the secret to a happy marriage for me is called a Route 44 Diet Vanilla Coke from Sonic. Okay? That keeps my marriage very happy and wholesome and healthy. When I buy Jennifer a Route 44 Diet Vanilla Coke, well, she goes almost on a daily basis on her way to school to get one. And she knows the person who always gets her her drink. Matter of fact, they get her drink ready for her before many times she ever shows up. That's one of these people in your geographical world. There are people that you might not even know their name, But that would be a great first step for you. They're the person who checks out your groceries on a regular basis. They're the gas station attendant that you might see when you go and get gas. And you know and you see them and you typically will say hi. They're that barista at Starbucks. They're somebody that's behind a counter somewhere that you see on a regular basis. They're in your geographical world, but you may not know their name. For most of us, they're our neighbors. And I want to encourage you to do something. Just get out a piece of paper and put a grid of the people in your neighborhood. I want you to think about how many of them you actually know their names. Do you know their kids? Do you know anything that's gone on in their life over the last year, six months, three months? I just encourage you to draw a grid. As I've looked at that, I've gotten to know everyone whose property touches mine. I know everyone down three to four houses one way and three to four houses another way. But as I thought about this this week, I remembered that there was a neighbor who moved in. Remember when we had that cold snap that was below zero for several days in a row this year? There was a family on my street that moved in that week. 
And we've made a habit when a new family moves in, we'll typically take something by just to greet them and welcome to our neighborhood. But we didn't do that for that family because it was that week. And God convicted my heart and said, hey, that's a family that, that, that I miss most. I want you to get to know that family. Who are the people that you live around, that you know, that you see on a regular basis, and they're in your geographical world? They're in your circle of influence, but you might not even know their name. And so for that, that particular circle, you might simply put the lady at Kroger's that I see every day or that I see once a week. Or you may put something else. But I want to encourage you not to leave today without having a name in each one of these circles. Now, I know we're all creatures of habit. And I know that you come in on a weekly basis and you hear messages and you think about, okay, what was that message about? I mean, by, by Sunday afternoon, you're thinking, what was that message about? I, I, I am not prideful enough to think that you guys remember everything that we say. Okay? I don't remember most of the things that I say from week to week. But this is an exercise I want you to do. I do not want you to leave today without thinking about who are people in my life that Jesus Christ misses most and he wants me to be intentional about. Remember when we talked about praying watchfully? The thing Satan would want you to do more than anything else is leave today without doing this and go into your week without ever thinking about it again. You see, the whole reason this book of Colossians was written was so that Paul, as he spoke with this church, just like I'm speaking with you today, that he would get our attention and say the whole reason that your life is supposed to mean something, the whole reason that Jesus Christ is in you and that He is the mystery that is in your life, the whole reason that the part of this that we skipped over was the part where it talked about our relationship, wives and husbands, employers and employees, children to parents. Do you want to know why Paul wrote why practically we should live our lives for Christ? Because of this. Because our lives come in contact with others. Do we realize that the decision to follow Christ has not just transformed our life, but Jesus wants to transform other people's lives? That's the reason we're here. Some of you work in really tough places. The place where the most light is needed is in the darkest place. He's placed you there for a reason. There are no accidents. God has you there to make a difference, to be salt and light. And that brings us to our third point. Stop and pray for people. Look for people that are in your world and make, a, make note of that. And the third thing is listen and talk with people. Listen and talk with people. I've simplified this to, to be the, these four things. It's one question and three stories. One question and three stories. I think this is so easy to remember. I love thinking about sharing our faith this way. So many of us have grown up in churches and we've thought about what it meant to share our faith. And that meant that we were on visitation on Tuesday night knocking a cold call on somebody's door. We thought it was a, prayer, a prepared sort of evangelism. That is not a bad thing because it certainly gives you a basis for knowing how to share your faith. But it is somewhat of a canned approach that doesn't work with everyone. And it's also sometimes so overbearing for so many of us that we don't, it's fearful for us to learn it. So I want to simplify this really easily today. One question and three stories. Here's the one question. How can I pray for you? 
I went to my neighbors who are from Colorado and I asked that question. I said it this way. Look, I'm going to be praying for you guys anyway. So I'd like to know how I can pray for you specifically. I'm going to be going to, to God, my Father, anyway. So I'd just like to ask you this. If there is one thing that you wanted God to do, if you believe God could do anything in your life, if there's just one thing that you wanted Him to do, what would you ask Him for? And as they share with me, sometimes it's, well, I don't know. Other times it's, well, my dad's out of work. What does that mean? Remember what our first point was? Stop and pray. Well, we go right to this as we think about this one question. It is, how can I be praying for you? What an icebreaker. What an opportunity to help someone know that you're a person of faith and that you simply are concerned about them. What's one thing I can pray for you? There might be a health issue in their life. What greater way for God to come through? I believe these are the instances where God wants to come through in more ways than we could ever imagine because He simply wants us to ask on the behalf of others, what's one thing I could be praying for you? So it's one question and then it's three stories. I want you to write these three stories down. The first one is... We need to listen to their story. So many times when we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing our faith, it's all about what we're going to talk to someone. No. The first thing we need to do is be willing to listen. So point number one, the first, first thing that we need to do is to listen to their story. And it can simply go something like this. Hey, Greg, what's going on in your life right now? Tell me your story. What's happening with you? Is God doing anything in your life? Is there stuff going on? If you listen to their story, what are you going to know? You're going to know what to pray for them, right? You're going to know also what are some of their fears? What are some of their barriers before they would ever come to know Christ? Because they're going to talk about some of the things that they may be afraid of. They may have had a bad instance in a church. Most Americans have. They've had a tough issue in a church where church turn them off for some reason or another, then you know right away that the first thing you probably don't want to do is invite them to church. Because if their greatest issue is how churches have hurt them in the past, you might want to build a relationship with them first before you invite them. You might want to have some other people who are at church come over to your house and be there when you invite them over so that they can understand, hey, these are just normal people. Now, we talked about what a normal person was last week, and I'm looking at a lot of abnormal people this morning, I understand. But listen to their story. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What does salt do? I grew up on a farm, and I know that salt does this. When we would feed salt to our cattle, it would mean that we would make them thirsty. We wanted them to get enough water, and many times they were too lazy to go to the water source. So we had to enter... We had to put salt into their diet so it would make them thirsty and desire water. And the whole reason that salt is part of this process, when Paul says, let your speech be seasoned with salt, is to draw people to living water. Jesus Christ Himself. We need to listen to people's stories. So many times we want to jump quickly to state something. Or for most of us, no, we don't want to ever say anything But many times we jump too quickly to what's going on with us. But when you listen, you're listening to what is going on in their life. 
So number one is listen to their story. If you do nothing else but identify the people in your world, ask them that one question, and seek to know what's going on in their heart and life, here's what I believe. God will convict you to the point where you're willing to share about what God's doing in you. Listen to their story. Become a student of that person. Active listening. Repeating back what it is. And asking that next question. So you grew up where? Well, what happened then? So your dad was in the military? How many places did you, did you move? Just be willing to be in the moment and ask questions rather than jump into the next thing. Point number two then there is we've asked the question, we've listened to their story, then it's the opportunity to share your story. Write down these four questions. Four easy questions. If you're thinking about, okay, what kind of story do I have? What, what kind of story can I share? The first question is this. What was my life like before I met Christ? What was it like? What was your life like before you met Christ? If you're thinking about how to tell your story in a succinct way, and I encourage people to try to tell your story in a minute and a half, so that if you were given an opportunity, just a window of opportunity to share with someone what Christ is doing in your life, you could share your story. What was your life like before you met Christ? Now, some of you were massive sinners like me, and uh, you, went, you were born into the church nursery. And so when you think about what was my life like before I met Christ, well, I was like seven years old. So, you know, there weren't a lot of major sins that I had accomplished when I was seven. But for many of you, you came to know Christ as an adult. And so this is a bigger question for you than for people who might have grown up in church and may have never strayed away from Him. But for those of you that have gone through difficulty and hardship and it was difficult for you and you went through life as an adult and you didn't come to Christ until later in life, this is a phenomenal question for you. The reason being is when people see your brokenness, and when they see the things that you've struggled with, and when they know that you're, you don't view yourself as a perfect person, that's what opens up the doors. You see, what most people don't understand about sharing our faith is, people already know we're screwed up. Okay? It's no secret to them. So it is your brokenness that gives you an audience. I remember when, when I lost my mom, to, to lymphoma just a couple of years ago, it opened up incredible doors for me to share with people who were hurting after grief and loss. Is that why God took my mom? No. But God used that to enable me to share into that. So what was your life like before you met Christ? Number, question number two then is, how did you come to realize that you had a need for Christ? You can't be a Christian if you didn't realize that you needed a Savior. So what was it in your life? For some of you, it may have been a church service. Tell them that. That's okay. What was it that helped you realize that you had a need for Christ? Share that with them. Number three is, how did you come to know Christ? Were you at a church service? Were you at home? Did someone tell you about Him? Who were the people that were involved? How did you receive Christ? And the last thing might be the most important one. And that is this. What is God doing in your life right now? So many people, when they share what we've just gone through, this is what would be called your testimony. When you are thinking about how you can share your story, for most people, they don't think about that question. What is God doing in my life right now? 
how did God get you through this week? How, when, when you, were, you thought you were at your life's rope end this week, how did He get you through it? That might be the greatest thing that you can share. Because you know what people want to know? They aren't necessarily even thinking of eternity. We think that when we share our faith, it's always an eternal question. For most of them, it's a very temporal question. It's what would Christ do in my heart right now? Now, we know as believers, we know the eternal question is the most important one. But right now, they can't see the eternal question. They're thinking, how am I going to get through life this week? Who's going to pay my electric bill this week? Who's going to take care of my son who is struggling with a drug addiction this week? You're going to find out what the temporal question is. So what is God doing in your life right now? So we ask that question. We listen to their story. We share our story. And then the third story is this. You share Christ's story. What is it? For most of us, this is where we really get scared. This is where we get frozen in our tracks. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We don't know how to breach this particular bridge and actually share this next thing. But it is very simple just to share Christ's story. If you've already shared how Christ has come into your life, you've done a great job of already sharing how Christ can come into their life. But I want to give you these three simple things. The first one is this. If you're going to share Christ's story, I think it's very important to realize our condition. Realize our condition. One passage that goes with that is Romans 5.12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that one man was Adam. So I talk about how I'm sinful. I usually talk about the fact that, hey, I've sinned this week. I still struggle with sin. And it's through Adam's sin that caused us to start sinning, but then death came through sin and death spread to all men because we've all sinned. Again, people already know that we're messed up. We might as well admit it and confess it to them and say, hey, you know what? I struggle with sin. I still do. And we have a need. We, have, we need to realize our condition. So if you're coming to Christ today, what the first thing that I would want you to know is this. You need to realize that you're away from Him. That your sin separates us from Him. The second thing that we can share with others is that we need to admit our need. Admit our need. Romans 6.23 talks about this. It's great just to know a couple of passages. You can memorize these or you can simply have the verses and go to them in your own Bible or you can simply share them with these folks as you have this opportunity to share Christ's story. But admit our need. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, sin's payment is death. But God doesn't want you to die without Him. We need to admit that we have a need for Christ. Realize our condition and admit a need that we have a need for Him. And the final one is this. Make a commitment with our life. Make a commitment with our life. John 1.12 says, But to all who receive Him, who believed on His name, He gave them the right to become children of God. Realize our condition, admit our need, and make a commitment with our life. See, the whole truth of, of all this is that, as we shared a couple of weeks ago, there's no easy believism. It's going to cost someone their life. This is a big decision that someone makes. It's a big decision that many of you have made here this morning that you've realized you didn't 
have a relationship with Christ, that you needed a Savior. You've admitted that you can't do this on your own. And you've made a commitment with your life. Now, there are some great ways to share these last three things. There, there's a great booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws that talks about that. It was put out by Campus Crusade. I know with, teen, with teenagers and with kids, I've used the ABCs, the admit, believe, and commit your life. You can do it in any manner of ways, but I believe these three issues are the most important things for people to, to understand. To first of all realize that we can't make it on our own. There's no amount of good things that we could do that the scales of God's justice would be weighed in our favor. It's not about coming to church. It's not about doing good things. We have a need that only Christ can fill. Admitting that we have a need for Christ and then committing our life to Him. You see, evangelism, I really believe, is as simple as that one question and three stories. But we complicate things. We complicate it by making it more about us and what we don't think we know rather than getting to know somebody and to saying, just as Paul said, to redeem the time and that your life would be salt to someone else, that it would draw someone's life closer and closer to a relationship with Christ. Would you take out that piece of paper one last time? And I want to challenge you, as we did in our Moving Forward campaign, I want to take this a step further. And I want to ask you, would you live your life in an intentional way this summer? That one of those people that I've asked you to put in those circles, that you would be intentional about asking them how you can pray for them. Just take that first step. And then as you do that, I believe it will lead you to simply asking them their story. To tell them, to ask them if they would just tell you about their life. And that that will lead you to being able to share your story and then Christ's story. But I'm asking you this morning, would you make an intentional commitment to living in an intentional way? That word intentional I think is huge. It might mean that you make that grid and you get to know your neighbors. It might mean that there's just one person that you commit your life to to making one of these steps in this summer. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for this opportunity today. Lord, to share, I believe, your heart for people. So often, Lord, I... Our church services can become more about how we can live in a more productive way, in a better way. And that's what your word teaches. But you are also very clear that we are to be sharing our faith with others. So this morning, God, I pray that you would just be with us. And that you would lay people upon our heart. That we might lift them up and encourage them in this opportunity to know you. So, Father, guide us in this this morning. We pray that your name would be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage our ushers to come from us as his brother and not his slave anymore. There's no distinctions. Clergy, pastors, and people who belong to the church. There's no distinctions anymore. We have unity. And that means that we go back to slander and malice And if we have things against one another, 
we need to protect this body. That we can be unified and project Christ to this world that we live in as our Savior and Lord. The message is really simple, but it's really, really difficult. This life that we have, this desire that we have to live for Christ, it's not easy. We have the fullness of Christ. We can't get any more of Christ in us. But we have to live this process out on a daily basis to set our minds on Him, to take off the old, to put on the new, to live like He desires us to, unified together. Can we pray this morning? You may be here this morning and as you think about this, you know that you don't have that relationship with Christ. You can call upon Him today and He will come into your life. And you don't have to deal with this question of eternity ever again. You can, just as we've talked about, set your mind on Christ and He will always be in your heart. Others of you this morning... As I read through those lists of sins, it was scary for you because you go, I'm still struggling with that one. There's great hope for you. There's great hope for me. And that is that Christ covers you if you have Him as your Savior and Lord. As God sees you, He sees only His holy and beloved Son, His child, His daughter, His Son. He sees you but He really sees Christ imprinted upon your life. Now live like you are. Live like Christ is living in you. Father, I thank You for this day and I thank You for each of these who are here. Lord, I pray that as we live this out each day, Lord, I pray that, that we would find new grace every day. Lord, that as we even seek to memorize this, as we put it in our heart, that we might, even in times of temptation, bring it out as you did, Jesus. And say to Satan, you don't own us. We've been bought with a price. Lord, would you free us as we work against the sin in our lives, as we take off the old and put on the new. Lord, may we bring honor and glory to you as your church, your bride today. In Jesus' name, amen.